Hunting a Killer is a fictional story recorded in chronological order. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, please go back and start from the beginning. We'll be here waiting for you. I decided to take a trip to Weiss Island from our Philadelphia offices. Lancaster is an hour drive and the island is only a short distance outside the city on the Susquehanna River. Seeing it here in person gives me a better perspective of the scene, imagining how and when the body was discovered. You can attempt to visualize it all you want, but nothing beats seeing the real thing. Now, I know it's been over 50 years since Jane Doe was discovered, and I'm sure the physical nature of the island has been altered over time. Still, just being here, I feel closer to the case. I feel closer to her, whoever she is. Detective Allen here. Hey, have you found anything useful? Not exactly. Big surprise. What's it like there? Oh, people seem nice. The island itself? Picturesque. Well, look, I'm going to need you back in Philadelphia ASAP. Why? What's going on? It appears as though our pen pal, John William James, has resurfaced. You're kidding. We received the package. Circular Logic Studios presents A Phil Interrupted Production Hunting a Killer back at the FBI office, Special Agent Jess and I opened the package from Listening Friends of America. There were quite a few items, and we will review each one. We noticed another welcoming letter from Vice President of Listening Friends of America, George Madsen. It reads, Dear Listening Friend, We here at Listening Friends of America are excited that you have decided to continue your voluntary enrollment in our charitable organization's flagship program. You are a key member to our family, which includes other volunteers like you all over the country. I also would personally like to remind you that if there is any indication of suspicious activity, to please contact your local law enforcement or write to us, explaining in detail your concerns and including a list of any evidence collaborating your suspicions. We are all too happy to ensure a pleasurable and safe experience for our family. Please rest assured that your identity and location are never revealed to your friend. Listen well. Your friend believes in you. Sincerely, George Madsen. Vice President and Lead Encouragement Officer, Listening Friends of America, www.listeningfriendsofamerica.org. Once again, we were alerted 
to George Madsen's insistence that we notify him or law enforcement if anything illegal is included in our package. I mean, what is with this guy? It's like he's expecting something to happen. Giving us a fair warning. I'll tell you what. I don't like this guy. He also assured us that our identity and location will not be revealed to our friend. Well, George, doesn't seem like you know you're talking directly to the FBI. Now do you, buddy? Another thing to note... George Madsen's credentials in his previous welcoming letter were Vice President and Chief Welcoming Officer. Now he's the Lead Encouragement Officer as well. Are there any jobs this guy doesn't do? Let's get straight to what Special Agent Jess and I were really looking forward to. John William James wrote a much longer correspondence this time. A one-page letter and a small poem on another sheet. When we opened the envelope containing his letter, an object fell out. That object appeared to be a tooth and its root. Quickly, we put the tooth in an evidence bag and sent it to forensics. As of this recording, there has not been any identifications made as to who the owner of the tooth is. The tooth didn't make much sense to us until we read the letter. My dearest friend, I do so look forward to when I may write to you again. I was once a poor wrench, lost in the past. These letters have given me a chance to use a certain amount of... Something which I find both motivational and cathartic. Did you enjoy the article I sent last time? In all my ecstasy in finding a friend to listen to me, I neglected to mention a thing about it. Do you think that a funny thing? I can tell you. I am amused. I never had a friend quite like you. Most people will not have an experience with a one-sided pen pal to be sure, but I feel there is something quite special between us. Yes, something special is happening. Do you feel it? Though we have not yet met, I am certain of the truth in this. As I write this letter, I am reminded of one of my favorite works of art, The Dragon Devouring the Companions of Cadmus, by Hendrik Goltzius. Have you seen it? The expressiveness in the dying eyes of the men draws me every time I used to see it. The way he captures their shock at the discovery of such a horrific beast in such a seemingly pastoral setting is unparalleled. Of course, they don't let us view such grotesque imagery. It is far too upsetting. Yes, do look at it, and you may agree. However, I can see it whenever I, not infrequently, close my eyes. Such brilliance cannot be contained in the real world. I have requested that they send you a copy of, believe it or not, the etching to you with this letter, and I am certain that they will ruin it with their censors. When you receive it, study it. When you have memorized every line as I have, close your eyes as I do, and we will be joined in ritual. I so eagerly await them, the experiences we will share, beginning with that day, when I feel you have done what I have asked. Here I am again looking to the future. I have you to thank for this. I feel as Janus may have felt. I cannot help but wonder if Cadmus felt this way too. You, my curious friend, understand. You know to look for what is beneath the surface and absorb the deeper meaning of life's trials. Always remember, though I look to the future, it is also important to look back. And thank you for being there where you are. And remember, here I am. Always, John William James. P.S. An inspector here of rare character owes me a favor. He will send you a file on Lloyd McGowan, a fellow resident. I believe this treatment unfair, even by the standards here. He would be free by now, 
had it not been for a dubious 1967 murder. I cannot look at his file. No staff member here would bother. You, my curious friend, will find details to contest his guilt. Needless to say, we have a lot going on in this letter. That tooth that was included? We discovered this was probably in reference to Cadmus and the dragon mentioned in the letter. Great. Back to Greek mythology. Cadmus's men were slaughtered by a dragon, and when Cadmus killed the dragon, he buried its teeth. And from each tooth, great warriors arose and fought among themselves. Is this why John William James included the tooth? Whose tooth is this? He also mentioned Janus. This is the god of beginnings and transitions, like gates, doors, endings, and time. Janus is usually depicted as a two-faced god because he looks to the future and the past. The Romans dedicated the month of January to him for this reason. I am not sure why John William James keeps putting Greek mythology in his writings. It appears that John William James is a well-educated individual. The bottom portion of his letter concerned us greatly. The P.S. portion. It comments on a patient, Lloyd McGowan, an inspector, and a dubious 1967 murder. We will address this in depth later. But first, here is the second page of John William James' correspondence. I wrote you a poem, my friend yet wise, in hope that you'll see my words with care. I wrote every line with open eyes. Remember the tale of Cadmus, and remember his friends, when peace they found before the dragon their flesh did rend. Here I am, the loose spring of friendship, and you trust your friends, no doubt. But remember, dear Cadmus, remember his friends, for who will you be when this story ends? Some would tell you to lock me up, every key thrown away, my accalp forgotten. Even you, dearest friend, tempting as I know it may be to rip this poem, toss the pieces into Salo. Us, I mean we, can't live separately. Throw away these lines, he wins. Here I am, dearest friend, a piece of me, for you. Always, John William James. Well, he certainly did leave a piece of him on the letter. In the bottom right-hand corner of the page is a fingerprint in blood. Presumably, John William James's blood. That's straight-up creepy, if you ask me. At least we will have the DNA profile of someone. What struck me was this is clearly an intelligent man. He speaks of Greek mythology, artwork, and writes poetry. The man is knowledgeable and articulate. So why is he in a psychiatric hospital? Now, strangely, there are three words spelled incorrectly in the poem. Loospring... Ekalp and Cello. I realize these words were spelled backwards. Ekalp is place, and Cello is holes. Jess made the suggestion that Loospring was supposed to be Wellspring. A wellspring is a source of water or beginning often associated with a spring or river. John would not have spelled these words backwards if he did not want us to study them. They were no mistake. My boss then proved again why she's top in our field. She noticed in the last paragraph of the poem that if you only looked at the first letter in each sentence, the letters spelled out, See Truth. We looked at each other. Well, place, holes. See Truth. 
I'll be damned. John William James mentioned in his main letter that he sent a copy of Cadmus and the Dragon to us. He says he is certain they will ruin the grotesque imagery with censors, and indeed there are five small, horizontal, oval sections of the artwork missing. The censored areas covered the dragon's teeth tearing into a man's face. Could this be another reference to the tooth we received? Other areas missing were his armpit, the thigh, his back, and on the face of a dead man who was beheaded. This got us to wondering if the holes missing in the artwork were in fact a way to try to find a message in his writings to us. After all, he said, well place holes, see truth. This was cryptically in his poem. Through trial and error, we finally came up with some potential matches. We found these three phrases. I may have, do you see, and most disturbingly, discover, don't believe them here. I will not say with 100% confidence these are the words he intended on us discovering, or if there are further messages we did not find. But scouring over his letters and the words, the only matches we found with the missing holes in the artwork, these were the only spots that lined up to form any cohesive messages. As I said before, John William James said an inspector would send us a file on Lloyd McGowan. This inspector lived up to his word. But before we looked into the file, we decided to dig into the inspector's identity. And we soon found out this was a different inspector than our first package. This inspector's name was Jacob Nielsen, and this is his report. Inspector Inventory Sheet, Listening Friends of America, Darlington, Maryland. The inspector is Jay Nelson, patient name John William James, patient number 1618. Item 1, Mr. James' Letter. Comments. He has such a way with words, I think we need to look for leaks in the building because there is some kind of residue on the back of the letter. Item 2, LFOA Letter. Comments. Nothing unusual here, George being stuffy as usual. Item 3. Tooth. Comments. I don't think this is Mr. James' tooth. Item 4. Dragon print. Comments. This is such an interesting picture. I think Mr. James made it in arts and crafts. He's very talented. I wonder why he chose to leave some areas blank. Item 5. Mr. James' poem. Comments. Mr. James really is an amazing man, and so creative. I can't imagine Mr. James making a typo, but I don't understand some of his words. He's doing much better than our other patients. There's some blood on the poem. I hope he's okay. I don't think it violates any regulations. Well, we've obviously figured out why John William James strategically left holes in the pictures he sent us since we decoded that message. And we also figured out those typos, which were also purposely placed by him. But now, let's go to this file on Lloyd McGowan. A little background on Mr. McGowan. Lloyd Patrick McGowan was born on July 17, 1941. His mother, Aoife McGowan, maiden name Phelan, committed her son to O'Brien Asylum on July 7, 1967. She stated that there were ongoing intermittent periods of violent behavior and outbursts, 
as well as a suspected neurological disease since infancy. Lloyd's father, Patrick McGowan, was not present at the time of psychiatric admission, but Lloyd's mother states that his father was abusive. Lloyd McGowan was a monstrous man, six foot three and weighing in at 267 pounds. He exhibited nervous behavior, appeared confused, and does not speak. He has had no prior hospitalizations in his lifetime, nor has he ever taken any medications. He does have a history of self-harm. So you're telling me, violent outbursts since infancy and self-harm, but yet she hasn't reached out for professional help until 26 years later. People never cease to amaze me. He is now referred to as patient 952. One day after Mr. McGowan was committed, there was an incident report filed by Robert Zakuski, a custodian at the O'Brien Asylum. He stated that he was mopping up after lunch when Mr. McGowan started following him. Robert thought that Lloyd just wanted to watch him work, because apparently a lot of the patients do that there. But then, Lloyd started acting nervous, as if he were scared or something. Robert stated he became very uncomfortable, so he turned his back on him. As soon as Robert turned his back, Lloyd started to swipe at him, tearing his uniform. Robert told his boss that it wasn't that bad, but his boss made him pay for a new one. An orderly arrived and took Mr. McGowan back to his room. He believes he was then locked in the room. Why on earth would Lloyd attack the custodian? Only one day after being admitted. This doesn't make any sense. Perhaps Lloyd had seen something that angered him? Something isn't right here. Let's jump to the next report. August 22, 1967, about a month later. A staff report stated that the patient resisted curfew this evening. Orderly could not physically move the patient from the hallway into his room for the night. No kidding, look at the size of him. Confrontation escalated and patient shouted, bed, several times before calling out for his mother. A second orderly arrived to assist and the patient struck the second orderly in the side of the head with his fist. This is the second incident of a violent nature in a month's time. Patient will be under close supervision for the time being. It is possible that the patient is lashing out at male figures who remind him of his abusive father. The plan, corrective action taken? Place patient under close supervision, grade two. This report is electronically signed by Dr. William Richter. Interesting. At least we now know he can speak, but why does he choose not to? Now, September was a busy month for Mr. McGowan. The first report in September occurs on the 13th. Staff report states, patient was in exercise yard today when he began muttering to himself. Other patients and staff have reported that among the muttering, they heard him say the following words and phrases, pilot, never be good, blew him up, said I can't do that, dad now, blue, and special. The nurses and orderlies observing him reported that his behavior was upsetting several other patients in the vicinity. Another patient asked 952 to please be quiet, and that is when 952 attacked him. He flung himself over the other man and struck at him repeatedly, alternately with his fists and open palms. I have decided to take a more direct interest in this patient. Plan corrective action taken. We will decide on appropriate medical treatment. This report is also electronically signed by Dr. William Richter. The medical injury report from this incident states that Mr. McGowan sustained injuries to both of his arms and upper chest. A one-inch cut on his chest and scratch marks on his arms are also noted. The cut was bandaged and he was administered 325 milligrams of aspirin. The staff signature is blacked out from the report, as it is on many of the documents we received. The very next day, on September 14th, there is, yet again, another medical injury report. This time, it appears to be self-harm. Noted injuries include head, both arms, chest, nose, and both hands. He presents with contusions on his face and forehead, scratch marks on his arms, and contusions on his chest and wrists. He was discovered in his room. A nervous fit was documented, as well as the fact he may have hit wall with head repeatedly. Signature, blacked out, of course. Six days later, on September 20th, an inpatient psychiatry treatment plan is put in place by Dr. William Richter. Mr. McGowan is to begin medical treatment with Melaril, 
He is to be placed on quarantine in new room 316. Full behavioral quarantine is in effect. Restrain patient and keep door locked. Orderly on duty to checked room every hour until curfew at 2100. Follow-up evaluation to occur in three months' time. Wow. Melaril? That is a strong antipsychotic drug, typically used for people who suffer from schizophrenia. And it's also not a first-line treatment. It's typically a last resort, after several other medications have been tried and failed. But yet, this man has never been on any medications per his file. Could they have attempted other medications with him and not noted them in his record? I'd like to believe that they were honest with their record-keeping, but something isn't sitting right with me. Aside from the fact that they are keeping this man heavily medicated, it irks me that he is going to be restrained all day, every day, and separated from any other human contact, locked in his room for three months. That's enough to drive anyone crazy. On the same day as his inpatient psychiatry treatment plan is initiated, Dr. William Richter writes a letter to George Madsen, Vice President, Listening Friends of America, Darlington, Maryland. It reads... Dear Mr. Madsen, thank you again for taking this time to come to an agreement that works for both of us. Patient 952, Lloyd McGowan, will be transferred to your facility in Darlington, Maryland on Thursday, October 2nd. All of his files you will find in this package. I do hope you can offer him a fresh start. I look forward to having him far away from me. I too long for simpler days. Please do not hesitate to call if you need anything from me or my staff. In the meantime, I am... Sentence doesn't have a period. Is something missing? Sincerely yours, Dr. William Richter, Vice President, L.F. O'Brien Asylum. Hmm. L.F. O'Brien Asylum. Listening Friends of America. Both are L.F.O.A. A connection? Perhaps. What is going on here? There was also a correspondence from, presumably, George Madsen to a woman named Heather. There is no date on the correspondence. It simply states, Heather, let's reduce Mr. McGowan's medication. I'm curious about what, if anything, he has to say. Thanks, George. Now, what may be the most compelling piece of evidence we have received is something that was accidentally mixed in with Mr. McGowan's file. Or was this purposely placed here for us to discover it? It's an autopsy report. No, not of Mr. McGowan, but of a woman by the name of Lillian Grayson, patient number 618. The autopsy is dated September 27, 1967. Date of expiration, September 26, 1967. Lillian was 28 years old at the time of her death. She was 5'4 and weighed 110 pounds. She had red hair and blue eyes. The autopsy began at 8 a.m. on September 27th. It did not end until 7 p.m. How in the world does an autopsy take 11 hours? An average autopsy runs 2-4 to four hours at most. There were three attending doctors, G. Smith, J. Miller, and W. Lowe. Uh, another red flag? Typical autopsies only have one attending. What are these people hiding? Notes from the autopsy state, blunt force trauma to head, unidentified object, likely a wrench or a tool, skull fracture, back of head, left orbit collapsed, Multiple stab wounds, including one neck, two in palm of right hand, 13 in the abdomen. Bruising present with effusion of blood in the vagina. Inflammation of the vulva. Seminal matter present. Heightens levels of progesterone and estradiol in the blood. Cause of death, blunt force trauma to head. Was this woman early in pregnancy? Had she been sexually abused by a staff member? How long has this been going on? Did the staff member murder her knowing she was pregnant and worried his secret would escape? So many thoughts are running through my mind. The struggle this woman put up fighting for her life is revealed by the stab wounds on her hand. 
With all of this in mind, I think we have discovered who our Jane Doe is, who washed up on Weiss Island. But what happened to her? What happened leading up to her murder? Who is responsible for this? And how did she end up on Weiss Island from the O'Brien Asylum in New York? investigating anything sent to you, you need to look at things in many different perspectives, meaning holding them upside down, using a flashlight, using a black light, etc. Thoroughly investigating every single piece of evidence. I did this to every single document. On the back of John William James's letter were the numbers 1618. This was only visible with a UV light, which yes, that is his patient number. But why did he hide it and make it invisible to the naked eye? Could there be more of a meaning behind 1618? I did some research, and all that I was able to discover is that 1.618 is the golden ratio. The golden ratio is a special number found by dividing a line into two parts so that the longer part divided by the smaller part is equal to the whole length divided by the longer part. It is often symbolized using phi. Phi is named after the 21st letter of the Greek alphabet and is rounded off to 1.618. I'm not sure what all this could mean or if it's even related. This is all speculation, of course. Perhaps as time goes on, we will have more on this. I decided to investigate the Listening Friends of America's website again. I find myself visiting the site often. They have newsletters on there, and so I decided to rummage through them. The winter newsletter stuck out the most as it had a spotlight on Jacob Nelson, which he was the inspector of our last package. The employee's spotlight was written by George Madsen, and it reads, Hello everyone, I would like to take this time to place in the spotlight a valuable member of our team here at the Darlington facility, Jacob Nelson. Jacob has been indispensable over the better part of two decades working here at our main facility. He has been an inspector for most of that time, but he began his relationship with LFOA as a part-time volunteer back when he would hold bake sales and that sort of thing. Jacob has always been a man of the community and has often gone above and beyond his work as a package inspector to better the lives of our residents. He has gone out of his way on numerous occasions to make our residents feel at home, and he has formed heartfelt relationships with the rest of our staff. Every day is made brighter here at Darlington by the efforts of Mr. Nilsson, and I, as well as the rest of our staff, applaud his work and his character. I look forward to seeing what Jacob brings to the table this year. May 2017 be full of pleasant surprise. Happy New Year! There's also a winter puzzle by a Mr. Puzzles. I figured I could use a little break, and I love puzzles, so why not? It had a jumble of letters on it, broken down into what would be words to make a sentence. After playing around with it for a while and trying many different techniques, I discovered that by moving up 12 letters in the alphabet from the letter that is actually on the paper would give you the correct letter of that word, meaning instead of H, it would be T. Instead of V, it would be H. Instead of S, it would be E, and so on. The sentence by using this technique was, the pilot was born this year. 25 years later, he never made it to be Brazil. I'm going to assume that is supposed to be Brazil and that it's just a typo. Anyways, digging deeper into the Listening Friends of America site, I found something in their forgotten archives. I found an audio clip labeled 1902-1618. 
Detective Allen here. Hey, it's me. I know it's been a long few weeks, but there are some things that I have found that appear to be extremely important. Why don't you head on over to my place and we can go over them? Maybe being out of the office environment will spark new thoughts? Uh, not a bad idea. Text me your address. I'll be over soon. All right. I'll see you then. Bye. Okay. Bye. That was fast. Hey, come on in. Thanks. Nice place you've got here. It's just a little something. When you live alone, it's all you really need. Do you want a drink? Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll have a Jaeger on the rocks. A little throwback to boys to men, huh? Oh, right. Let me turn that down. Here you go. One Jaeger on the rocks. Appreciate it. You're welcome. <sighs> so, are you comfortable? Yes, I'm. Get ready for this. I'm ready. What do you have? So I found an archived audio file of Lloyd McGowan. Lloyd McGowan? Yes. You will not believe what's on the recordings. I can't believe there is audio of this still around or at all. Just wait until you hear it. So tell me, Mr. McGowan, how do you feel? How do I feel? Yes, in simple terms. Tell me how you're feeling. You a doctor? No. Will you help me? Mr. McGowan, I need you to... Look, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know where I am. The, the lady at the door, she took everything. She took my mother. Your mother went home. No, she didn't. She wouldn't do that. She got taken. The lady took her. I know it. Where did she take her to? Let me talk to that lady. I want to find out where she took my mother. What are these? Those are just to keep you in the chair. Please, calm down. Tell me what's going on. Maybe. Where am I? Your new home. Aha! What is it? If this is home, then where's my mother? You said she went home, which you also said this is. I, I got you, Doc. I'm, I'm not a doctor. Well, you look big for a doctor. I think you're right. You know what? I could take you. Maybe a doctor would fix you up. Man, these things are hurting my wrist, bud. Hey, what am I supposed to call you? You, you know, when I'm busting you up for keeping me in here? You have no reason to hurt me. I'm here to help. In a pig's ass. You have to trust me, Mr. McGowan. We're here to help you. What was that? Who's there? No one's there, I promise. Let's pause it right there. What do you think? I am blown away that we have this evidence. This is really important stuff. I can't believe you found this. I know, right? Well, look, Lloyd doesn't sound like someone for who even a second believes his mother would put him in an asylum. He sounds like someone who's been tricked. I couldn't agree more. Didn't you say that in Lloyd McGowan's file, he was reported to have violent outbursts? Yeah, there were several incidents of it. It sounded like he wanted to get aggressive right there with the person who was doing the interview. Speaking of that, who is the interviewer? The interviewer says he's not a doctor. Who is he? He doesn't even say he wants to help Lloyd. No, he didn't. And honestly, I'm not sure. But just wait. There's more. Well, Lloyd, you've certainly gone and gotten yourself in real trouble this time. I've never been. Do you hear me, Lloyd? I hear it's sunny this time of year. They're sending you to the far wing. East Ancillary. The 300s. The whole thing, i never been. He, he went. Do you know why you're going to the EA? 
He, he, uh, he tried to go. He, he tried, but he didn't make it. Jesus Christ. What have they got you on, Lloyd, huh? Gone. The jungle. A pilot fell in the jungle. Gone. Yeah, well, you're going to be gone for a while, too. You killed that girl, right? Uh, gone. He's gone. Gone. Lloyd, I need to listen to me. Tell me you killed that girl. The crazy statue there. That, that was too far. Too far. Couldn't do it. I'll ask you plainly. Lloyd McGowan, did you murder that girl? Don't say no. The ferns are red now. <laughs> Attaboy. That guy is wasted. Not wasted. Lloyd is heavily medicated for sure. He mentions a pilot in Jungle. Does that have anything to do with the puzzle you solved? The one about Brazil and some pilot or whatever it was? The pilot was born this year. 25 years later, he never made it to Brazil. That's what the solution to the puzzle was. Brazil and not Brazil? Yeah, had to be a typo. Well, Jess, this sounds like a coerced confession. This man is in no shape to be giving a confession to murder. He doesn't even sound like he could tie his shoe in this condition. He says, The crazy statue there. It was too far. I couldn't do it. I think he's talking about the object that caused the blunt force trauma that killed Lillian Grayson. He says he wasn't near it. And the person giving him the interview says... Did you murder that girl? Don't say no. And Lloyd says, the ferns are red now. And he says, that a boy, and turns off the recording. He's being completely set up to take the fall for a crime he probably had nothing to do with. That's what I'm thinking. Get ready for this last part. It's chilling. Oh boy. What's going on, bud? Things seem scarce around here. Was it spring cleaning already? We're transferring you, Lloyd. You and most of the other patients. Transfer? Yes, to another institution. What, like Buffalo or something? Not quite. We've reached an agreement with a small facility in Maryland. Um, Darlington, Maryland. How do you feel about this? Well, I bet it's Darling. Are you afraid? I don't know what afraid is anymore. I, I, I don't even know what feel is anymore. Try to tell me. Look, if I feel anything, it's this. I, mean, I feel like I've been asleep for the past 30 years and I still can't wake up. I feel like you've been selling me lies. I feel like my mother died before I could ever say goodbye and my pappy probably outlived her because that's exactly the kind of asshole he was. You're handling this well. Yeah, you're a funny guy, bud. I'll tell you what, you finally get around to telling me what my deal is and I won't beat the shit out of you as soon as they let me go. I guess it can't hurt now. Oh, it still could, believe me. I see your point. Lloyd, you were a threat to your family. That's why your mother dropped you off here. She was afraid. She was afraid of my father. She was afraid of you. And a pig's ass, she was afraid of me. I was her boy, her baby boy. Relax, please, Lloyd. What else are you going to pull out of that backwards noggin of yours, huh? Tell me. Tell me something real good. Thirty years ago, you committed a murder. What? That's why you can't place the past few years. You've been medicated and isolated for the majority of that time. I ain't never killed nobody. I ain't my father. There was a young woman with anterograde amnesia. Do you remember her? What? I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, what are you talking about? I ain't killed nobody. Do you remember? She was also a patient of Dr. Richter's. Richter? Yeah, I, that guy. I remember that guy. And the young woman? I, I think so. Rachel? Uh, Beatrice? I don't remember her name. What was it? Uh, I didn't kill her. You yourself admit your memory is missing pieces. I think I'd know if I did that. Would you now? You've got some nerve. You're trying to mess me up and get in my head. You can't. Get out. You, You wake me up from a dream and all my heroes are dead. Hmm. That's disturbing. Okay. Clearly, he's been medicated and in isolation for 30 years with no understanding of what is going on. 
It sounds like the hospital locked him up, threw away the key. No attempt to treat him. He does suggest violence again, but wouldn't you if you were locked away in his condition for 30 years? Yeah, I see your point. Lloyd appears completely shocked about the murder charge against him. Yeah, he does. He really does sound like a man who was asleep half of his life. One theory we have to keep on the table is Lloyd is part of a cover-up. He saw something that he shouldn't have, or the hospital staff chose him to be their scapegoat over a crime they simply wanted to cover up and go away. It's certainly possible. And if the staff, doctors, or whoever was raping or sexually assaulting Lillian Grayson, it would make sense to pick on a young girl ridden with amnesia. She won't remember what you did to her. That's your perfect victim. Until something happens, something went too far, and your prey dies. Then the shit hits the fan. Yeah. So, who is the predator? We know that Lillian Grayson was raped by either hospital staff, doctors, or another patient. And you're telling me the autopsy report indicated either early pregnancy, or perhaps birth control pills? Absolutely. She had elevated levels of estradiol and progesterone found in her bloodstream. Foul play occurred. She was killed, autopsy performed, probably taken out of the facility by police, and the body was dumped, lost, whatever happened to her, and found on Weiss Island. That's how this appears at this point. So you're thinking a potential major cover-up? That's what I'm thinking at this point. They took Lloyd, who had no family or anyone that seemed to care about him, drugged him, put him in isolation, made him admit to the murder, and pinned it on him. Are we in agreement with this new theory? Yes, I agree with this. I also think it's possible that John William James is in fact Lloyd McGowan, but that's pure speculation. But keeping an open mind, it is possible. Maybe he has split personalities, one a simple-minded fellow and the other a genius. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe John William James is the murderer, and he's the one that got away with it, and Lloyd took the fall. Now, he wants credit. Uh, Again, it's possible. Maybe he's just a caring citizen looking for justice for poor old Lloyd. People in psych wards or psych prisons don't care that much about other people in there. I could tell you this, if I were in a psych ward or a prison, I would worry only about myself. I wouldn't go through the trouble of trying to prove someone else's innocence. True. If John William James is not Lloyd McGowan, and in my opinion Lloyd sounded pretty innocent in those recordings, then I shift my focus back to John. He seems to be extremely intelligent. His sophisticated level of writing, knowing the artwork and the Greek mythology. Why in the heck is he in a mental prison? He's like Hannibal Lecter. And the way he talked about death in his first letter, the stalking and knowing your prey, creepy. Yeah, he is a very intellectual human being. Based solely on those recordings, Lloyd did not sound like he was a bright guy. I couldn't imagine him writing those sophisticated letters. True. He sounds like someone who would be working in a trade, though. Like a tough, hands-dirty kind of man. A tough guy. A city water worker, perhaps? Yeah, some type of trade. I don't know. I know criminals can be professional liars. Sociopaths. But Lloyd sounds pretty innocent. He sounded surprised. I wonder who he's talking to. In part one, it sounds like when he first arrived at the hospital. In part two, he's drugged and they want him to admit to the murder. Part three, he's been transferred, and it sounds like the same person interviewing him the whole time. The guy interviewing Lloyd asks him about Dr. Richter. So I don't think it's Richter. How old do we think George Madsen is? Let's say Madsen was 20 years old when he interviewed Lloyd in 1967, when he first got institutionalized. I couldn't imagine him any younger working at a place like that, and the voice doesn't sound young either. So 30 years later, in 1997, Lloyd transfers to Darlington. That would make Madsen 50. It's 2018. 
That would make Madsen 71 years old. Probably not Madsen. Not likely. I think George Madsen is in his 40s, judging by his pictures and young family. All right. Well, there certainly is a lot to think about here, isn't there? You aren't kidding. Still think you're up for the job? With all due respect, boss, I'm up for anything. I'll put that in your review. Fair enough. I better get going. Yeah, thanks for the drink and the data dump of information. Anytime. I'll see you at the office tomorrow. There are so many moving parts to this mystery. It can be a little overwhelming at times, but that's part of the job. Separating the insignificant details from the important ones. Special Agent Jess and I have many theories about what might truly be going on. We could be onto something, or we may be way off. The list of suspects and persons of interest continues to grow. John William James plays his games, riddles, and shadowy clues. Lloyd McGowan, is he a man of truth and tremendous heartbreak, or a monster? Is George Madsen the caring individual he presents himself as, or does he have deeper, darker motivations? William Richter, Was he simply a doctor who threw in the towel on a seemingly lost, violent patient? Or is he a critical part of a cover-up? And then we come to the focus of this investigation. Lillian Grayson. We know so very little about her. Lillian was mistreated and her life was cruelly cut short. Unfortunately, we know how and when she died, but not why. Again, we have more questions than answers right now. But there is no giving up. There is no stopping. And there is no rest while hunting a killer. This has been a Circular Logic Studios presentation. Hunting a Killer is produced, written, and performed by Phil and Jessica Allen. Editing by Phil Allen. Based on Hunt a Killer.